the epistle story and the Exodus story from the Old Testament. All of them have a theme. Do you see it? Guys who are called by God, and it's not easy. It's big. It's big to be called by God to do anything. And to walk in it takes incredible faith. And it was challenging for, challenging for Peter to hear those words from Jesus. It was challenging for Paul to realize, I'd just soon be in heaven, but this is going to be hard work for me. But I get to suffer for Jesus. And now Moses, Moses, who we talked about last week, Exodus chapter 2, the, the divine birth of Moses, divinely protected. Why? For some great thing? Well, let's zip through the story. And if you've got the video Prince of Egypt, did you see that? Those of you who are young enough to have seen that, and, or those of you who watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, maybe that's a better version. But uh, most of you know that born, Moses was born, but raised in Pharaoh's household. So he was Egyptian in almost every way though he was Hebrew by birth. But at the age of 40, he murdered an Egyptian. He saw, some, uh, saw a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian, and he got into a fight and, and took, took the life. And so he fled. He was a fugitive, and he ended up in the land of Midian. And uh, while in Midian, he was, he was literally shepherd of the desert. That's like the name of this place. He was the shepherd of the desert. He, he had a little family, uh, you know the names, name of his wife? She went by Zippy at home, I think. Uh, Zipporah was her name. Uh, had two sons, uh, Gershom and Eliezer. And he was now literally a melting pot. He was born Hebrew, but he had grown up Egyptian, and now he's living in Midian. There's very little Hebrew about him because of the way that he had grown up. But he was going to end up being a Hebrew of Hebrews before it's all over. Uh, he was a fugitive, so he was a murderer, so I think he was a bit recluse. And basically, he was working as a shepherd, which if you know anything about the, the economic systems of the time, was not exactly high-end, uh, not a lot of upward mobility as a shepherd. So I was actually thinking about calling this sermon the schleppard of the desert. Uh, he was just schlepping out there uh, in Midian, uh, working for his father-in-law and uh, with his little family. And he does that for 40 years. Now he's 80. So he's probably got a nice 401k worked out with Jethro, his father-in-law. And he's probably just counting the days till he can just like sit around and eat stew while everybody else does the work. Um, maybe in the back of his mind, he thought, I, I thought maybe I was set aside for something great. Because I remember the story of my birth. There's lore to that. But maybe I'm just nothing. I'm just nobody. I mean, is it really? His resume was a nobody resume. Very hard to hire. He's an ex-con. He's a former felon, and and just a wash, like culturally a wash, homeless, weird life. This is Moses, and he's pretty famous in our eyes and in our book nowadays. But he was. This is a tough point in his life, I'd have to think. And so on this particular day, we find him just doing his job going up to Mount Horeb. I don't know what it is with Moses and mountains and God and mountains, but these big theme throughout the book of Exodus. Things happen on the mountains. So he's up at this mountain, and we have the story of the burning bush. So let's just make, make a few comments about that. It says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the bush that was burning. What does that mean, an angel of the Lord? Was that God, or was that just an angel? 
Well, if you look in the rest of the Old Testament, including Genesis 16, 18, 22, 32, there are these moments that say an angel of the Lord came, but it is clearly the personage of God appearing in bodily form. Now, is that Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus? Whenever God comes in bodily form, you might think, oh, that's Jesus then. Maybe. However you want to define God coming in bodily form, the Old Testament would refer to it as angel of the Lord. It's interesting that God comes in a miraculous way, but also in a natural way. It's just fire, and it's just a bush. But when they go together and they, one, it doesn't burn up, it's miraculous, but God works through natural things. I, I love that about God in general, that God often works through the natural as, as opposed to coming, like he didn't come down in a spaceship and meet Moses and go, wow, this is so completely other. No, in the flow of life, I am miraculous within my creation. Love that. Um, it's interesting that, I mean, I laugh every time I read this text and it's, it says, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. I mean, like, like he's talking to himself. I think I'll take a look at this. But it's important because right after that it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then God talked. It's almost like here's this burning bush and Moses, instead of going, okay, that's weird, and just walking away, says, this may be a thing. I think I'm going to go look. How many burning bushes have we missed? Where God has said, here's a thing, and we go, okay, I'm busy, and that I have no explanation for that, and I, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. I think I'll walk away from it. Instead of going, that's just too weird to not want to go check it out. And that's when God engages. It's like, big stop sign, <laughs> burning bush. Moses, are you going to respond? Are you going to slow down and take this in? Moses says yes. And, he, and then a voice, Moses, Moses, by name, God calls him out. By the name that the Pharaoh's daughter named him when he was a baby. Here I am. Then we have the, the brief spot where God says, this is holy ground because of my presence. We could talk about that all night too, but that's an extraordinary thing. When God is present, the normal becomes extraordinary and holy and set aside. God defines himself as the historical God, so I'm not just a God who you might, because in those days he would, he would have grown up in Egypt and they had a bunch of gods. They had Ra and other gods for different kinds of things. And now he was in Midian and the Midianite priest, his father-in-law, had a version of God going on in his head. But he had also grown up understanding that the Hebrews had a firm understanding that God had revealed to them something very different, that there is one God and that that God was the one who called Abraham out of Ur and the God who also blessed Isaac and blessed Jacob and blessed the 12 sons and turned those 70 people now into over a million people in Egypt. That was the God. And so God identifies himself. I'm not, this, I'm not just saying, hey, I'm God. I'm, I'm God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm that God. I'm the God that you know is the real God. So that's who's talking to you right now. And then God starts to describe the fact that he has heard the prayers and he has seen what's been going on in Egypt and he is well assessed of the scene. And I love this. Just a few things about this uh, historical God. He's, 
in his own description, we realize that this is a God who is aware of, of the circumstances. He's aware of your circumstances. He knows what's going on with you, just like he knew what was going on with Egypt. He hears the prayers and is responding. He's answering the prayers of the Hebrews who were in bondage to the Egyptians by calling Moses. This is an answer to their prayers. So we see a God who is hearing prayers, and our God gets directly involved in the answer. He isn't just up there like with machinery, like uh, the guy in Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, you know, just kind of running things. You know, I'll send this guy here, send this guy. No, I'm going down. He says, I have come down to call you. I am getting my fingers dirty, angel of the Lord, just like Jesus would uh, 1,500 years later. So I'm involved in the answer, directly involved. I'm not the God of the deists, for those of you who are interested in philosophical things, who say that God just created the world but then let it run on its own. Now it just runs naturally. No, God runs the world and is involved with the day-to-day. He's certainly involved in this particular moment. He's physically manifest, and, and, and then he, he says to Moses, I have a specific plan here, and the plan involves you going back there to Pharaoh, delivering those people, and bringing them back here. I mean, there's specifics. There's geography. There's timing. There's, uh, there's a cast of characters. God has a plan, specific plan, right in the midst of the flow of life and those particular circumstances. That's the God who comes and talks to Moses. Not some vaporous superpower just pulsating with, you know, just impersonal, you know, whatever people think God might be. This is a God who is all these things, engaging Moses. Now we get to, to, to the meat of this whole thing. He, he is coming for Moses and he's got a plan, and God does not like to be disappointed. God has a plan. He wants to see it happen. When God has a plan for you, he wants to see it happen. And before we move on here, I just want to say this. It's, it's easy to read this story and go, okay, this is burning bush, and this is Moses. Like He's like superstar in the Bible. He's huge, and it's a big deal, the Exodus. And so God has a big call and big plans for this big old deal, but I'm not a big deal. I'm shepherd of the desert. I hang out in Scottsdale, and I'm kind of living my life. Some of you might even be saying, I've kind of lived the main part of my life, and now I am just a relief pitcher. I'm just kind of hanging out in the bullpen. My mother says this. She actually literally says, my mother's 85 years old, and she goes, I'm in the waiting room. I'm just waiting for heaven at this point. I'm like, I'm not even in the game. Well, she's only five years older than Moses was when this is happening. So if those of you who are under 80, buckle up. The main part of your life is right around the corner. You got some big stuff ahead of you. But during Lent, it might be something as simple as this. I've had this attitude. I've had this anger problem. I've had this substance problem. I've had this kind of relationally, the way I act. I've got this problem. I'm, I'm, I'm addicted, maybe not to a substance, but to something else. It's just a thing that's been, you know, what's your thing? What's your thing that you know about on the inside that you go, I, I have wanted to tackle that forever. I've tried. I've gone through a bunch of lengths. I've tried to knock this thing out. But it's still there. still bugs me. What's that thing? What if God just came to you and said, 
I've heard your prayers. I've seen the way that the devil has oppressed you. I'm here because I'm going to enter in with you. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, and we're going to win this thing. How many of you would just go, yeah, God, we've tried this. I'm stuck with that. That's just my personality quirk for the rest of my life. It's not changing. I don't, I don't think God gives us that out. And I just want to encourage you to walk through this with Moses because I think we feel the same way when God nudges us and we, we respond the same ways. And ultimately, at the end, we're going to see that God gets a little ticked off. And I don't think we want to tick God off. I think we want to walk with God in the fullness of his plan for us. So we see it... Um, Moses' first response to this big call of God, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And I, I love this first one. I think we could just do the first one and go home. No, but I got to preach long. That's my MO. So the, the first one is this Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you ever feel that way? Who am I? What's God's response? You're somebody, Moses. Come on, buck up. No, it's not that at all. God goes, wrong question. The the better question is, who am I, says God? Who cares who you are? I'm the one asking. I'm asking you to do this, and I am not easily thwarted. My purposes follow through. I'm asking you, and you're going, who am I? Wrong question. And you're right, you are dust. Your dust. But who am I is the right question. Wow, if, we could just, if we could just win that one. And that's num- number one on our pushback here. When we push back against God, number one is God is our primary consideration. If God calls you to something and you say, I don't know about me, you're, you're, just, you're focusing in the wrong direction. You're like the apostle Peter when Jesus said, you want to come walk on the water with me? And it's, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm walking on the water, but then I look at myself and my circumstances, and I think, we do the same thing. God is so able, he's so powerful, and he's so for you, and there's just so much there for you, and God is going, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, Moses. And Moses goes, yeah, but I'm not up to the task. Of course you're not, but I am. Who am I? No, who am I, says God. So number one, God has got to be our primary consideration. If you're just going to focus on yourself and your weakness, yeah, you're never going to do anything because you are weak. But when we're weak, he's strong. Do we believe that, that his strength trumps that, trumps our weakness? Then he says in verse 13, look, if I come to the people of Israel, they're going to ask what your name is. What do I tell them? And then he goes, I am who I am. Say to the people, I am has sent you. There's just so much in that. I just love this about God. God is not, he hasn't been named by some human being like all the other gods have. I am the God who is. I is. I am. And what that includes in all that is is that I, I am an existing person. I actually am a personable God. I'm all powerful because I exist, not because somebody else named me or somebody else called me into existence. I just am because I am omnipotently powerful, and I am, I, I am eternal, I am immutable, I'm not changed by anybody else. I mean, there's just so much packed into this. You go, what's, if, I ask, if they ask what your name is, and God goes, tell, tell them my name is Jim. 
Okay, well, that's really deflating. That just seems like a simple name. Tell them that I am the pre-existence one. I, I, my character can't even contain a name like you. Know. Wow. So the second point is like God is our primary consideration, and God is awesome. I mean, do you believe that? When God comes along and says, you ought to do this, is God just sitting over here like this going, I want you to be holier. I want you to stop sinning so much. Or is God coming alongside of you and saying, I'm going to crawl in you. I'm going to actually abide in you by the Holy Spirit. And I am, I am, and I have the power to overcome whatever's going on in your life. Do you even believe that? When you realize it's God and who God is, well, maybe, maybe anything is possible. Jump over to four one. Moses says, but behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. They'll, they'll say, God didn't appear to you. Okay, now, now we get, this gets really interesting because now God does the magic tricks. <laughs> Do you find this amusing almost? Okay, the staff and the snake thing, very impressive. The leprous hand thing, that is creepy. Could you imagine if somebody did this? Look at this, look at this. And out it comes, it's just all mangled and bloody and scabby and go, no, 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 there. The Mayo Clinic, they can't even do that, can they? You know, they got to carry back there. Whoa. And the, the staff thing, that's like power over the scariest thing in nature and the power over the scariest thing, like, a, like health that we fear that we're going to die. And then the last one, drip some water on the, and it'll turn into blood at the Nile, like oh, these, these tricks. Now you can break down the tricks and what they mean and why, but the, the main thing here, and point number three on this is, God's going to help, practically. They might not believe you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some signs so that they'll believe you, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did. He came, and there were all these signs and wonders that he did so that people would believe what he had to say, right? And it also says in the New Testament that signs and wonders will accompany the apostles and the prophets and the life of the church, that there are miracle workers um, in the church who are to do supernatural things on behalf of the truth being understood by the world. Do you believe that still? Do you believe that if need be, God will do a supernatural thing to get your thing accomplished? Can God do the supernatural? God's going, yeah, I can, I can, I can rattle these off, and I've promised that that'll happen in the church. Karen and I, just a couple nights ago, we were, we were having uh, ice cream with a friend. And this friend said, I, I want to tell you a little story <coughs> about how God did this supernatural miracle thing when I got converted. It's unbelievable. I told the story. We just looked at each other and went, wow, that, was, that is weird. Did that really happen? It really happened. It's God taking care of me. He wanted to make sure that I got saved and the supernatural happened. Supernatural is happening all over the world. Doesn't happen a whole lot in the United States, I believe, because we don't believe it. I don't think we have faith for miracles. But God can do miracles easy, and God does. So God will help. If you've got a thing in your life and you just say, God, I just don't think, oh, well, you are God, and you're amazing, and you do stuff. You do practical things to make sure that this point gets across. So God will help you. Uh, verse 10 in chapter 4. She's, oh, I'm not eloquent. You want me to go be a spokesman, but I don't speak so well. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow, to, slow of speech and tongue. And I think God is so funny here. Is it okay to say God is funny? 
just the way that God responds. Who, who made your mouth anyway? Like, I don't know your mouth. Who makes somebody mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? You think I'm not in control of all of these things? Now, therefore, go, I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you'll speak. I'll just, I'll be right there next to your mouth, Moses. I mean, next to you, obviously, but your mouth specifically. Like, really? Really? You're going to say that that is a barrier to you fulfilling what I want to do? But what I, I just love this idea where Paul actually comes, uh, I mean, uh, God actually comes into to Moses' moment and just says, I, I, I made your mouth. I'll be right next to your mouth. Or as one text says, I'll be your mouth for you. And that's number four, is that God will be our obedience for us. The Apostle Paul talks about life in Christ like this. Like it's, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live by faith, I live by the Son of God who died and saved me. It's not even me anymore. I must become less, you must become more. I need to be full of the Spirit. If I'm full of the Spirit, I won't carry out the desires of the flesh. More of God just being God in me, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in me is my hope of obedience because he actually comes and does the obedience for us. Now, he ultimately does that in our justification when he saves us. He is the fulfillment of the law, and because he fulfills the law, he was crucified on a cross, and he is a worthy sacrifice for all of us. He was literally our obedience that saves us and then dies for us and lives for us. But moment by moment, the power of God can be the agency of your obedience. Will you just let God obey through you? If I can't take on the devil, he can. He helps. He's awesome. And he will do that thing for you and walk you through the obedience. He'll be the power that you need. But do, do we really believe it? Most, did Moses believe it? I talk bad. I can rise above your bad talking skills. Come on, Moses. Let's do it. 413 um, is number five on the list here. <laughs> and here's, oh boy. Here's where Moses just comes out and says it. Because he's been beating, I'm going to say it, he's been beating around the bush this whole time. I was, this just happened. That wasn't in my notes, I promise. He's making excuses. But then this is the ultimate excuse in chapter 4, 13. says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. I just really don't want to do this. Do you feel that way? Go share the gospel with people in Scottsdale. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Someone more gifted than me. They talk better than me. They're more powerful than me. They aren't, they aren't broken on the inside like me. They aren't afraid like me. Send them instead. Don't... Don't we feel like that almost every day? Overcome that sin. Uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you have somebody else overcome that sin and write a book about it, and I'll maybe read the book. But really, God, do you really want with me to go mano y mano against this sin and overcome it? Uh, God, can you just... I like that sin. Can you just leave that sin alone? Just keep that sin. says in verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled. And then he, then, <laughs> I love that God says this. Aaron, I know he can speak well. We'll get to that. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth, I'll be with his mouth, I'll teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be his God to him. 
So he goes on to explain the specifics of the deal. But uh, three quick things out of this. Number one, God knows your strengths and weaknesses. He, he, I think it's interesting that he goes, I know, God knows that Aaron's a good speaker. Which means God knows when somebody is a good evangelist or a good Bible reader or a good prayer or a good exerciser or a good caregiver or a good businessman or a good leader. We've all got different skills. God knows who is good at stuff. God is fully aware, and he acknowledges the fact that there are differences. And he even says, you know, Moses, you keep whining here, and I'll be with your mouth, but you know what? I'm going to answer your prayer anyway. You don't need Aaron, but I'm going to give you Aaron, and I'm going to have him be a spokesman for you. I just, I want, and, and that's number one. God knows the strengths and weaknesses, but also God will provide people to help you. We were never intended to do anything big for God by ourselves. So God brings people along. He brings along an Aaron. He brings someone who can fill in the gaps for us and help us succeed, even if technically we don't need them. And some of you go, I don't need anybody. I can handle this on my own. That's probably true if you're totally open to the grandness of God just killing it for you. But God will also say, hey, if you're struggling, if it's, if it's not, it doesn't seem peaceful to you, I'll bring an Aaron. I'll bring somebody along to help you. I'll bring a Simon the Cyrene who will come and pick up the cross for Jesus. I'll come bring a Timothy for Paul. I mean, it just helps. And we're supposed to have that kind of help. And God will send those people. But the last one is this. God gets angry when we push back. You might think this is kind of a funny story and ultimately God gets his guy and Moses goes. But that phrase where it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled by Moses pushing back. I mean, we, we can chuckle at Moses pushing back, but I just want to say, don't, don't push back. None of us should push back against God. It should, does it stagger you to see that? The anger of the Lord. Could I make God angry by just being recalcitrant against his motion in my life? That should, that scares me. I don't, I don't ever want to make God angry. After all God has done for me, God has been nothing but good. He saved my soul. He gives me my daily bread. He provides for me. It's just blessing after blessing, grace upon grace. And then God says, I've got this big plan that includes you. And instead of saying, wow, let's go, I say, God, could you pick someone else? And God gets mad at that. Why, why would we want to do anything that gets God mad? It should shatter us to think that we're actually causing God to be angry. So in our Lenten journey, whatever, you, whatever your deal is during Lent, your, your time with God, your walk with God, if you get to that point where you just go, God, I'm just tired of this. I just want to hang it up. I just want to give up. Just remember that that grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves God. It's frustrating for God. Don't be the stiff-necked people of the Old Testament. Be the joyful, inspired people who are now filled with the Holy Spirit who now lean into God's call for your life. So it's about God, and God is awesome, and he will help you, and he will actually be your obedience for you as you need it. And uh, he knows your weakness. He'll provide people to help you. Because of all those things, don't anger him. There's one last closing thought. I, this week as I've thought about this. For Moses, it's Pharaoh. 
Go tackle Pharaoh. I don't want to go tackle Pharaoh. That sounds scary. Go, go, go tackle Pharaoh. And I've just had this in my head. Who, who's my Pharaoh? What's your Pharaoh? Who's your Pharaoh? And then this silly phrase came in. You know that phrase, who's your daddy? Is Pharaoh your daddy? Is that thing your daddy or is God your daddy? You're, you're my father. I'm not going to let that guy... I can let Pharaoh be my daddy. I don't care what the thing is going on with me. I want to lean into the fullness of what God has. And uh, even though I'm weak, let God be strong in me. Uh, we're going to receive an offering right now. I want to pray over that. And uh, I'll tell you what. God doesn't need a goat slain for him right now. God actually doesn't need $100. The shepherd of the desert does. So if you've got that, you might want to throw it in. But what God really wants, it says in Psalm 51, is a broken and contrite heart. And if, if the word of God has in any way just brought you to a point where you go, God, all, oh, okay, okay, my excuses, I'm just naked before you. I've given all the excuses I can. Let's go get Pharaoh. If you make that offering, that offering of nothing left but obedience. Praise God for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. It always amazes us that uh, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, now Moses, uh, Peter, James, and John, Paul, and there's just a bunch of weak people. And that's how you show your glory through the broken clay pots that we are. (coughs) So thank you during this Lent that you remember that we are dust We bring our dusty selves to you, and just like Moses, we confront that burning bush, and we want to say, God, here I am, send me. And here I am, send me into my Pharaoh, and be bold and strong, and take care of business on our behalf. We pray, God, that you would do that by your grace, by your mercy. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing as uh, the offering is being received.
riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory.